Hey folks, welcome back to the Jedi Council Podcast where we like to explore mental health in your favorite, or in some cases, least favorite fictional characters. Um, for folks who might be tuning in to the Jedi Council for the first time, just to tell you a little bit about who we are, my name is Brandon Saxton. I'm a doctoral student here at NDSU. I'm in my fourth year of my PhD, and uh, my research so far is focused on vulnerability to depression and is recently moving into vulnerability to suicide. And I'm Katie Gordon. I'm an associate professor, and my research focuses on suicidal behavior and eating disorders. I got my PhD in clinical psychology. All right. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good, although I want to say something that was started by Josue Cordona of Geek Therapy. <laughs> Our, <laughs> he... <laughs> Geek Therapy, the new rival of the yeah, Jedi Council exactly. I got exactly. I got some words for him. So apparently he was not happy that we released two episodes at the same time and is afraid that we might get to 100 before him. I believe he's on, I believe Geek Therapy's on episode 80 and mm -hmm. we're only on 40. Right. But you've come up for, with a solution mm -hmm. to catch up. Maybe yes. we could share that. Uh, so my solution in the, the Great Race to 100 of 2017 is that what we're going to do is take our normal 30 to 50 minute episodes and release them in what I like to call Jedi Council mini pods. <laughs> and what these are going to be is, if you think of them as real bite size, just little Jedi Council samplers, you're going to get about three minutes, you're going to get the introduction and one or two sentences and then the sign off. And uh, what we'll do is break this episode into about 40 more. <laughs> so that for once and all, the Jedi Council podcast will be the first to 100 episodes on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. So that's the plan, Josue. Welcome, welcome to the, <laughs> welcome to it. No. All right. Uh, so, for sake of finishing up our mini series on thirteen reasons why, let's jump right in and skip our current events. Because, to be totally honest, I can only talk and think about the show for a little bit longer before I really need to just cleanse my Netflix palate and watch The Office again <laughs> and and get something a little more lighthearted in my life. Because, um, as I've talked about before, the show is powerful and it's not a real good feel-good show. Mm -hmm. So um, so let's go ahead, and today's episode, we're going to cover a few different issues just to kind of, kind of set the stage or give you an agenda. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about consent. There's uh, a lot of issues and depictions of consent in 13 Reasons Why, so we'll talk about that. We're going to give some more um, information related to suicide, things like suicide contagion or how the counselor, could you remind me of his name, Katie? You know the Mr. name. Mr. Porter. Mr. Porter, thank you so much. How he sort of uh, handled the Hannah, who was um, experiencing some suicidal ideation, talk a little bit more about suicide notes maybe, and we'll see what we get to, but that's kind of what we're thinking that, uh, that we'll cover today. And I think today, I, I, can we agree right now this will be our last episode? I think we'll get to the main I think I feel pretty today. comfortable and saying that. if people that. have more questions, feel free to tweet at us, and we're happy to talk more. There's just so much content in this series, you, so we'll just oh, pick yeah. the... Highlights. That's a good way to put it. So you could certainly like make a podcast on 13 Reasons Why mm -hmm. uh, just by itself and these important topics as well. But just for our own sake and moving on back to hopefully something related to comic books someday, we're going to try to wrap it up today. But we'll be happy to talk about more issues if folks have them. So, Katie, let's start off. Uh, I, so in the show... Um, and, oh, another thing I want to say before we really dive in. This is going to be full spoilers for the whole series. We're yep. going right to the end now. So if you haven't seen the whole series yet or if you're worried about spoilers for the ending, um, you might want to wait on this episode. So at the very end, what we find or what we see is that the whole story sort of concludes and uh, everyone gets through all the tapes and we see everything that happened to Hannah uh, leading up to her taking her life, including the act of her taking her mm -hmm. life. And uh, we find out a couple of important things. So, f for one, uh, Mr. Porter, the counselor, kind of scummy. Not a great guy. And I thought maybe we could jump off with that, unless you have something else you want to start off no, with. I, no, I think, I think that's a good idea. And Let's I, talk about it. I know scummy is not, like, the most clinical term, but <laughs> that was what I was thinking when I was watching <laughs> it. Because you sort of get the sense that he's a lot more concerned with, like, protecting himself and the school from a professional angle maybe than helping Hannah, mm -hmm. uh, certainly after her death. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I was looking at some commentary on this, and someone in the mental health field said a lesson that 
mental health professionals can take from him is to not get so overworked and preoccupied that you're not doing your job well. And I thought that was, I mean, this is a very clear reminder of that. And so he's got the phone ringing kind of off the hook uh, yeah. while he's there. That's a good and, note. And those types of things. And so I, it's certainly an important thing to take it seriously, especially when someone's telling the things that Hannah was telling him. Um, so absolutely, including sort of things like I think there's a quote that she says um, that um, oh I don't do you have it handy something about that everything needs to stop uh, people life everything something like that um, so it's certainly she was reaching out for help um, with Mr. Porter uh, she says I'm going to give life or I'm giving life one last try and he doesn't really respond so he sort of responds and asks her a couple of questions um particularly related to the um sexual assault that she experienced but his response to her when she tells him that she was she, i don't know does she directly say that she was raped to I, him i don't she know. makes it clear that she that's makes what it she's clear. Talking about, right. she she doesn't use exactly direct language which i think was pretty realistic she starts Absolutely. trying to kind of test it out and tell him beginning indirectly but it starts to become clear what she's talking about as she goes on and as sort of she says that she won't give the name of the person that does it because um just of you know there's a lot of relationship dynamics in that school uh and she's already treated poorly she doesn't really want to add to that is kind of the sense that you get he sort of says well if you're not going to tell me who did it unfortunately your only other option is just to move on and that was it was uncomfortable for me to see and it didn't feel like really the the best way to reach out uh to someone or to connect with someone who's reaching out to you for help yeah he asks her if she's going to confront him and she also he asks her did you say no and oh, yeah. also asks if she was drinking and some other things like that and while getting details of what happened may be important at a later point at this point it's really the goal for a therapist or a counselor is to make the person feel comfortable and not judged so that they can reveal what happened in a trusted and safe space and he's really not sending that message he's kind of like what's the bottom line and are you going to confront or report it and if not you need to move on and kind of hinting at her being to blame for the rape by asking her things about her intoxication level and whether she actually verbally said no and so that's very concerning to me because for the young people and many young people out there are watching this I worry that they might think that's a typical response of a counselor. For people who are mental health professionals, they might say, oh, this guy is either really burnt out or this is an exception to the rule and that it's someone who's not behaving competently or ethically. But for young people who haven't had much experience with mental health professionals, I worry that they'll see that and be reluctant to reach out because they'll be afraid that it makes it worse. Absolutely. I think that sort of leads into another issue um, related to, maybe we could talk a little bit about consent just as it's generally shown in the show as well, unless you have something more to say on that point. No, I, one other thing I, I do want to say about Mr. Porter with with um, specifically related to the suicide is that she mentions, as you said, that she wants life to stop, and she's clearly kind of expressing that she's having thoughts of suicide, and she walks out and she turns around and waits for him to come out after, and he just doesn't follow up at all. What would have been appropriate is certainly to conduct a suicide risk assessment to find out what's going on with her, to follow her um, mm -hmm. out and try to talk to her and connect with parents to try to do whatever they can to keep her safe, depending yeah. on the parent situation. Um, so that's a general statement. There might be some types of situations that are more complicated. For example, depending on the home life that you might want to be careful about how you involve the parents in keeping the person safe, but certainly in this case that was called for. But instead what happened is he just let someone who told him that she experienced a sexual assault, that she experienced rape, and that she was feeling suicidal just walk out of the office without following up with her. No, it's a really great point because uh, she, he is sort of like, oh, no, hold on here, and he's trying to like juggle the phone, and then she's like, no, I, I think I'm going to go, and you can tell she sort of made up her mind at that point. Um, about the suicide, and she does get up and just walk out, and presumably he takes the phone call as opposed to following her in the hallway, and unfortunately, um, that's sort of a theme in the show, and I think that 
they run the risk of sending the message that uh, maybe no one can, no one will be there to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I, I think that is sort of the take-home point of Hannah's story right at that moment mm-hmm. is that no one was there for her. And I think that's a dangerous message to potentially send to people who might be struggling with thoughts like Anna is depicted as struggling with in the series. Yeah, I mean, maybe the friends didn't know how to respond. We talked about that last time. Yes. Maybe parents didn't understand that some of the warning signs were there. But here she is explicitly telling a counselor that she is feeling this way and the response someone who's trained is not mm-hmm. responding correctly. And even if he did take the call and was preoccupied, you better believe, like, if someone said that to me, I would make a commitment to find them later on in that day before too much time had passed, And and uh, regardless of what was going on. I mean, that's his job. And so that, that was really concerning to me. And, and I think it really could have changed the nature of the series had that interaction gone better. And I'm not saying that every time a counselor is able to intervene that that prevents suicide. That's not true. But here's a clear point of intervention with someone who's trained, and unfortunately it didn't go that way. And Hannah, in her mind, views that as that was my last try. No one can help me. And I think that it was a clear point where they could have instilled some hope in people Mm -hmm. maybe who were struggling. Um, And I don't know how that would have changed the story narratively, of course. But it, and I'm sort of repeating myself, but it is troublesome to, to me at least, to leave people with the, you know, the take on point that even someone trained a professional uh, wasn't able to, to help her when she was in need and she needed someone. So let's say they wanted to keep the story the way that it was and therefore they didn't want to change the counselor. At bare minimum, they could have put on the screen at the end most counselors are more helpful than this. Mm-hmm. Most counselors don't respond this way. Here are some helpline numbers. I think that would have been helpful to, at, a, at a minimum to get that information out and kind of counter it. Again, I don't know if that would be as powerful, but at least it would be one way to kind of give helpful information out too. So um, let's move on and talk a little bit about consent because it's uh, that's another theme throughout the show, mm-hmm. particularly related to Hannah. So there are it starts in the first episode, I want to mm-hmm. say, uh, right away um, when with Justin. Is that right? You're mm-hmm. so much better with the names than I am. Uh, you took much more diligent notes. So with Justin, who she goes on this date with, and they're at the park, and he takes this revealing photo of her as she's coming down the slide. And then I think it was Bryce gets her phone and actually, or gets Justin's phone and distributes that photo around. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the beginning of, and the first sort of part of the tape for Hannah's 13 Reasons, mm-hmm. is this uh, distribution of this photo. And then uh, a similar thing actually happens later on in the series with uh, Tyler. The, Tyler, thank you again, mm-hmm. the school photographer who is stalking Hannah um, and um, takes pictures of her uh why am, I, why am I so bad with every name of all the people? With the young Courtney. Woman, Courtney, thank you, Katie, my goodness. Mm-hmm. With the young woman, at, and and they're sort of hanging out, and they're having alcohol, and they start mm-hmm. kissing, and he's been taking pictures of her every night, and he takes pictures of that, and then those get distributed as well. And uh, that's kind of a timely sort of thing, because this is something that I think is happening in this sort of more digitized modern era where everyone pretty much has a camera with them at all times. And uh, pictures are stored sort of on the cloud or on the internet, and things get distributed like that. And, for example, there was one um, of many examples, Mm -hmm. of course, but one major example that comes to mind is I think it was last year when the iTunes cloud, iCloud, was hacked and celebrity photos were distributed widely. And I think that it's important to talk about how that's very much a a violation of consent. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think... You know, that one might be, it's one that people have a little bit of a harder time maybe wrapping their minds around, but it's also just, it's very clear. Yeah, exactly. It's one thing if someone has pictures taken of them for public consumption versus if they send it to someone privately, or in the case of Hannah, take it without any permission. I mean, Tyler Mm -hmm. is looking through her window trying to take pictures of her as she changes. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. completely, totally creepy and unsettling, and... It's, you know, I think that the the more direct ways, I think it's clear that what Tyler's doing is not okay. What Justin's doing is mm-hmm. not okay. What Bryce did sharing the picture is not okay. But even one thing that I saw come out of when those celebrity photos were hacked is that there were people speaking up and saying, don't look for those photos because mm-hmm. you're contributing to the problem. Mm-hmm. 
yes, you might be curious and you might want to look at the pictures, but there are plenty of revealing pictures out there where people have consented to mm -hmm. having those shared publicly. And so even Clay, who's kind of the nice good guy, and that arguably is also the one, arguably the best person in the show maybe mm -hmm. you're one of at least yeah mm -hmm. one he's one of the decent people in the yeah, show well. and then many <laughs> non-decent people <laughs> and even he he's looking at the picture and you know again this is where it's important to educate about the fact that there are there are no limits on pictures out there that people have consented to being mm -hmm. shared publicly however that wasn't the case in a lot of these and i think that this contributes early on to a couple things. One is it starts off with Hannah's having this bad reputation mm -hmm. and this slut-shaming thing that you unfortunately do see occur in real life. And so people are treating her negatively uh, because they are assuming she allowed him to take this picture. Even if she did, their behavior is still completely Absolutely. uncalled for. I think it adds to a sense of helplessness over things, too. She doesn't seem to really reach out to her parents or anyone. I don't know if she feels like they're too preoccupied. It seems like maybe she looks for a little support from friends occasionally, but it's not really direct. And so it seems like she just is trying to deal with it herself, yep. feeling unsettled, feeling helpless, and maybe just feeling like she, she has nothing to say about it. And then later, when she's raped by Bryce, which is just a horrible scene. I mean, yep. it's just horrible. And and I saw in the um, the after show special that they consulted with a psychologist to make it look her reaction look realistic. And she looks very powerless in it and kind of freezes up in it. And it's very difficult to watch. And one of the things that bothers me is Hannah interprets that as thanks to Bryce, I finally lived up to my reputation. And that really disturbed me. I mm -hmm. thought, that I'm not saying it's unrealistic that someone might think that, but again, I'm concerned about people who can't pick apart reality and fiction. That's Hannah's perception, but it's not true that her being raped turned her into the slut that people rumored about. And so that that was very bothersome to me. Yeah, absolutely. The the scene itself was very um, it was very difficult to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so it's it's just important to talk about. Uh, those issues related to consent because I think um, that w sometimes with the pictures like we saw with Clay uh, you know it's just important that that everyone understand how inappropriate you know that is especially given how common that's becoming um, and it could be oh sorry go ahead no please it could be argued that perhaps some people watching the show might understand how those actions make the the victims or the targets of them feel you can see how much it messes Hannah up to have those pictures sent around and things like that and so it it's possible I'm not saying that those who are most likely to do those things would think that but let's say there's a nice kid out there or a kid out there who doesn't really think about how looking at pictures mm -hmm. might hurt people perhaps after seeing this they might think about oh wow that is really hurtful to other people I'm not I don't know that's completely yeah. speculation mm -hmm. but that is one possible thing that might come out of it. And one thing that I that I did really like is the scene where they have Clay and Hannah start to kiss, and then he says, is this okay? And I like that because it shows this clear contrast of someone asking about consent. It doesn't ruin the moment. and makes the moment better. And I think that that's important to show in light of all the other violations throughout the series, that there's one person who gets it, he's acting in a healthy manner, and unfortunately, that scene ended up really negatively, but oh, yeah. the beginning part of it was a useful contrast. And they actually showed that with Clay in one other scene earlier on in the series as well, where he just very very quickly and nicely asked, mm -hmm. is this okay? Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's absolutely great, and it shows how you know it doesn't ruin the moment or mm -hmm. some of that weird stuff that you hear people say. Uh, so I thought that, to give the show credit where credit is due, I thought that those depictions of Clay asking for consent were really great. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we can talk about the scene between Clay and Hannah, though, because I think you were right that that depiction of consent was great, but then it led into something that I struggled with a little bit, and I'm yeah. curious to hear your opinion on it. So, um, can I say one more quick you thing? Certainly so, can. If, let's say in an, al an alternative timeline, if the counselor had responded in a way that Hannah felt comfortable talking about the sexual assault that happened to her, it, it would be part of therapy to challenge her on that idea that 
being a victim of rape made her into mm-hmm. made her live up to her reputation and so that would that is usually a part of therapy following sexual assault to make it clear that she's not to blame for that it doesn't mean something negative about her and again that would be in the later steps usually in the beginning you're just trying to make a comfortable safe space for mm-hmm. the person to talk about this tragic thing that she seemed kind of in shock by after it happened and you know this is after she saw her friend getting raped by the same person so i mean Mm -hmm. it's understandable that she would that she would feel so bad about this and have difficulty talking about it that being said most people don't die by suicide following that so i want to be clear that there's hope especially for people who are able to get adequate support absolutely so then that scene uh with clay and hannah after he asked for consent and then she's sort of having some uh flashbacks of the rape that she saw mm-hmm. is am I, no the rape happens after that scene so i'm sorry i'm mixing it up a little bit because they sort of show that party in different segments it happens right after that but she has some flashbacks about the way she was treated uh prior mm-hmm. um yeah so justin taking with the that pictures picture and, sharing and yeah it and stuff yep like um so then she you know asks him to stop and mm-hmm. he does stop uh which was great and then she tells him to get out and you know just get away from her and he does. He walks away. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it com- as we come to find out, that was listed as one of the reasons, is that because he walked away from her at that moment when she asked him to stop and then asked him to leave. And he asks what's wrong. And she says, no, really, you just need to get away from me. And he does. And then they kind of show this alternate version where he goes against her wishes for him to go away. Yeah, he and insists that, on staying and yeah. says, I'm not leaving till you tell me what's wrong. Yeah, and that, that ultimately saves her life in this alternate sort of depiction. And I'm curious what you thought about that. I struggled a little bit without that, with that because they first show this really nice consent scene and then they have this sort of scene where, like, if someone's telling you to, to like that you need to get away from them, you, you really shouldn't. And it's kind of a mixed message, and I had a little bit of a hard time with it. Yeah, I, it's a very mixed message. He should be listening to her, but then he's, if he wouldn't have listened to her, then he could have saved her is what the message seemed like. And so in light of all of the other violations of consent throughout the rest of the series, that really concerned me. I mean, I think it's true that people, when they lose someone to suicide, have survivor's guilt sometimes mm-hmm. and replay what they could have done differently but i given the audience of this and that it's a lot of high schoolers and even middle schoolers i don't know that they can tell oh that's what that is mm-hmm. you know i don't i don't think that it's really clear and again their goal is not to do this as an educational thing it's for entertainment nonetheless mm-hmm. a lot more people are going to be watching that than documentaries and certainly a lot more than are reading any of my research articles. Mm-hmm. So it's oh. important to think about the implications. And just anecdotally, a number of my friends who are in practice and doing therapy and or who work in schools have said that a lot of kids are talking about this. They really oh, yeah. like this series and they're asking questions about it. The conversations are good, and I hope that there are conversations about it because I think the material on its own might be hard to parse all that information from it and make sure you come out with an accurate understanding. Absolutely. So do you have anything else to say, sorry, about this consent issue? And it's an important issue and an important topic. And unfortunately, we're trying to cram a lot of material in a quick episode before we move on to our next talking point, Katie. No, I think, uh, you know, if anyone else has questions, we can talk about it some more. I think that, um, you know, I think this is unfortunately something that happens. And Mm -hmm. like you said, with access to social media and things like that, it's even more of a concern than perhaps in the past. And so I guess, again, if an adult is discussing this with someone and explaining that, you know, look how badly people are hurt when you violate their consent like this, that it's possible that that could be compelling to them. However, um, on its own, it's hard to pull that information out, I think. Absolutely. So the next thing I want to talk about is actually something a couple of our followers on Twitter asked us about. One was Mike Mead, who's a fellow student here at NDSU, and the other was our our good, good, uh, not one of our top fans, I would say, our followers, uh, Lauren, who both asked questions related to suicide contagion. So it's actually somewhat depicted, I would say, in the show. So I think it's in the very, like, last few minutes of the show almost we actually come to find out that alex takes his own life or attempts to 
Uh, they don't, don't say that he's dead, but he okay. used a, he had a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Yes. So. so what folks are wondering about is, is there a kernel of truth to that? Uh, do we find that there are suicide clusters or one suicide happening might be more likely to lead to another one? And unfortunately, I'm going to let you talk about it because I think you're more read up on, than I am, but I don't think there's going to be a clear answer for this one. I'm, I'm going to post some links to this, but I do want to give a little bit of an overview for the people listening. So um, this is an area, I would say, of some controversy. I, in looking at the literature, what I see is that there is some evidence of media contagion. And something that Mike asked about is if it matters if it's in the news versus if it's fictional. And it does seem like you do see effects within the news, but there are also cases of times when fictional stories have contributed to um, supposed suicide contagion facts. Now, these are not huge effects, and I should probably define the term. The idea is that if someone dies by suicide, you see an uptick in suicide. So they've looked at it in a couple different ways. One is celebrity suicides, like when Marilyn Monroe died. Um, there's been reported up to a 12% increase of suicide following that. But you didn't see a similar increase in suicide following Kurt Cobain's death. And so it seems like in a meta-analysis, when you just look at media depictions and in some cases with fictional depictions, that individuals who are already vulnerable are at risk for suicide. So it's, it's people who are already feeling vulnerable that learning about someone's death by suicide might be another risk factor that increases the risk for them attempting or dying by suicide themselves. It doesn't, what doesn't seem to be the case in any of the stuff that I read is that someone who's completely non-suicidal reads about someone dying by suicide or watches 13 Reasons Why or something mm-hmm. like that, and um, despite having zero risk factors before, becomes suicidal. Mm-hmm. As we've said before, but I'll repeat it again, asking someone about suicide does not appear to increase suicide risk either. So based on literature, including a meta-analysis, which is a study that looks at a whole bunch of studies uh, in the area, there is enough concern about suicide contagion that there are some media guidelines that were created about um, how to report on suicide. And so the idea was that there are a multitude of factors that lead to suicide, but if media even has one small contribution to it, or learning about someone, in this case, Mm -hmm. Alex learning about Hannah's death by suicide, then why not try to reduce that factor? So they established things like talking about not using language that sensationalizes suicide. Um, They talk about not including method of death, location. They talk about not using, describing recent suicides as without warning or skyrocketing or other strong terms. They talk about not discussing the content of suicide notes and not to talk about suicide similar to reporting crimes. And so um, there are some different guidelines in there. I think they make sense for a lot of people, but there is an interesting study conducted by Mike Anestis, who's someone I went to graduate school with, and number of other people. I won't read all the authors, but include. I'll mention just the ones that I've that <laughs> that are friends of mine, Eddie Selby um, and Thomas Joyner, who was my advisor, and David Klonsky, but a whole bunch of people will link to it. And so what they were interested in is whether there was any scientific support for using these media guidelines. And so they had a very clever way of testing this. They took a real article that actually just is an interview with Joyner about his theory of suicide. And he discusses some about his father's death, including details and about how his father died. And they took that and they altered the article into a new version that complies with those media guidelines. So Mm -hmm. they took out this specific information about methods of death. They changed some of the wording that was quote unquote sensationalizing and things like that. And so they altered that and then they added a third type of thing, article that people would read that goes into details about how people die from cancer. And they randomly assigned undergraduates to read one of the three articles. So the idea was that if suicide contagion was an effect that happened through, um, depending on how things are written about, 
then you would expect to see an increase in suicide risk and negative mood for the people who specifically read the original article mm -hmm. that talks about the details, but you wouldn't see as much of an effect among people who read the one that complied with media guidelines or reading about the death by cancer. And so what they found is that individuals who read the original suicide article were no more upset immediately afterwards or during the one-month follow-up. Um, they also found that among participants with prior ideation, and I'm just reading directly from the results here, so um, we'll link to it, but they, those who read the original article reported a lower likelihood of future attempts relative to either condition. And so what this does is it actually challenges those media guidelines. Now, this is one study. One of the things that is a strength of it is that it involves random assignment, and that's helpful because the prior suicide contagion studies, they're looking kind of historically at things that happened, and you can't kind of control things like was there a seasonal effect? Because, for example, suicides are different depending on what season they are. Are there other factors that would explain whether the rate change? And so this is one piece of information suggesting that even um, that it might have even reduced some of the stigma, perhaps, among people who had prior ideation to read the original article. And so more research in this area needs to be done, but in summary, there is literature suggesting that you do see suicide contagion typically in people who are already vulnerable. So connecting this to 13 Reasons Why, if Alex was already vulnerable, we don't really get to know a lot about him. I mean, there's a little of his interaction with his dad, but there's not much. If he was vulnerable and then felt guilty about Hannah and then learned of her suicide, it's possible that could be a contributing factor elevating that risk. But based on the study by Mike Anestis and all that came out, in 2015, it's also possible that learning the details of suicide did, wouldn't particularly impact him. So I would say that this issue requires further study, but it makes sense to proceed with caution, and we'll post links to both so that you can make up your own mind about it. Well said, Katie. Thank, Thank you. you for covering that <laughs> with your more advanced understanding of the literature. <laughs> All right. So sort of related to this idea of contagion, another mm -hmm. thing that some people on Twitter were kind of asking us about or maybe speculating about that I've seen, and I'm sure you have as well, is it, and neither of us has read the book, but from what I understand, the mechanism through which Hannah dies by suicide has actually changed from the book to the TV or Netflix series. So, and correct me if you've heard differently, but from what I understand, in the book, uh, Hannah dies of an overdose, and in the TV series, uh, as you saw she they show a very the very graphic scene where she actually dies by cutting her wrists with razors from her parents store mm -hmm. so some folks i saw on twitter were sort of asking why do you think they made that switch and i have my own idea um but i'd love to hear what you what you kind of thought first well, why don't you start off uh, i'd be happy to <laughs> so and uh, i might be wrong and i am happy to accept alternative opinions but this in just thinking about this is kind of what i was thinking is i think part of the reason they might have switched that was I got the sense that the take-home point that they were driving in 13 Reasons Why, the Netflix series, was if you are mean to people or if you don't reach out, people will die. I, and I might be simplifying it, but that's really it was really not a feel-good show, and it was, I, it was almost reminiscent of like a scared straight program, mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just my sense. So I think that they tried to sort of ramp up uh, how graphic her death was, or the scene of her death, perhaps. Um, and I th that's my belief as to why they sort of changed the mechanism of suicide. W what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm not totally sure in the after-show special type Which I haven't situation seen, that they had. Yeah. Um, they suggested that part of it... Now, I don't, I don't know if this was intention going into it, was to kind of show how painful and hard suicide is to look sure. at. And one of the issues that I've seen people within advocates and mental health professionals raise, though, is that one is the suicide contagion stuff we talked about before, that there is some evidence at least suggesting that it can happen. And in that case, is it dangerous to show this graphic 
scene of someone dying by suicide and that if someone's vulnerable, that might increase their risk. I mentioned that there's at least one study looking to see if uh, the guidelines maybe don't make as much of a difference. Now, that was focusing more on news stories and stuff like that. Um, And I should mention, this stuff is really hard to study Mm -hmm. because what you really would be interested in is looking at how vulnerable people are affected by seeing these types of scenes, but people have ethical concerns in light of those factors about showing people who are at high risk for suicide pictures of people dying by suicide or images of that. So it's kind of hard to test. I am familiar with one study where they were looking at music and there was an older song by Pearl Jam called Jeremy and it's telling it's based on a news story that happened about a young man who um, brings a gun to his classroom and dies by suicide in front of his classmates and they what they did is they looked at people who were not at risk for suicide and they played that song versus a song without themes of suicide in it and they didn't find that it increased likelihood or desire for suicide but again this is undergraduate students who weren't particularly at risk and so I think what's important to understand is that people who are in who are feeling suicidal they might not view things the same way as other people and that if they're experiencing a great deal of emotional pain and want that emotional pain to end if they see some depiction of someone who is finding a way to have people pay attention to them and validate their pain and that they can escape I can understand why there's concern about that but a lot of this right now is talking about based on what people have said in seeing that and so my question really would be, what is the benefit in showing mm-hmm. that? And like you said, I don't know that someone who's suicidal is going to see that and go, oh, wait, that's actually really scary. I hadn't thought about it that way. I'm not saying that totally wouldn't happen, but I don't think there's a lot of evidence that that's the case. On, in contrast, I can't imagine people who have been affected by suicide being upset by that scene. To the credit of the show, they give warning ahead of time that yep. it's a very graphic scene. They, again, don't... I didn't see any information about suicide prevention hotlines at the end, but they do at least warn that this scene is very graphic. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great point. Um, it, it's just something that people... I think one of probably the biggest talking points, I think, about the show is, mm-hmm. is that scene and, and why they changed it. So it was just something some folks were asking us about that I thought we could speculate a little bit about. Um I did say, you know, uh, or I did see, rather, that they also have, um, they put together a website. Did, have you looked at that, Katie, sort of? Because we've kind of talked about how they didn't include any help lines or anything on the show. They did include a website that I think they tried to maybe capture that. Um, I haven't really dug into it too much, but I think that... that I certainly hadn't heard of it, and I watched the whole show. So I think trying to make those resources more transparent and clear... You know, I think it's great if they did make a website. Uh, And I saw even some of the actors and actresses from the show posting on their personal social media page links to that website and saying things like, if you're feeling things like Hannah might have been feeling, visit this website, get some help. So I think that there were some efforts, but I think there maybe could have been a little more directly tied into the show. Yeah, I think that it's great that they have those resources. And then the after show, they talk to mental health professionals. Like you said, the thing is trying to make it as easy as possible to find. If you go to like the Twitter account, it has that resource link to it. And so it is out there. It it would be nice if they just stuck it in at the end of the show, too. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's our next topic? We've got a couple more talking points, I think. Um, one was um, a, kind of related to suicide notes and, and the mind state before suicide. So I think that's kind of one of the uh, another one of the areas, and, and this might be like the 47th I've talked about now, that I sort of struggled with with mm-hmm. the show, is I don't – I didn't – or I had a hard time, I guess, wrapping my mind around – Hannah in recording these tapes and the timeline wasn't super clear to me exactly when she recorded each of the tapes or how exactly it happened because the show's a little bit hard to sometimes follow exactly the flashbacks and what's happening when but I I don't know about sort of the quirky nature you know she was kind of a quirky character or person which is great um so am I I think in some ways but sort of the way that she talked about the world and herself right before she was planning to take her own life it just didn't really jive for me, you know, because she was kind of cracking jokes a little bit and 
And I don't know if that necessarily maps onto the mind state that people have before dying by suicide. I don't know. Did, did you have any thoughts about that, Katie? Well, it's, it's not that common to leave a note at all. Mm-hmm. And when notes are left, they certainly are not typically what the hours that it took into recording yeah. audio tapes and planning methodically all of those things. With a map and Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's very atypical. The focus on setting the record straight, I mean, it is really being used as a plot device yeah. rather than, than accuracy. And so um, something I had read, which I thought was a good point about this too, is that one of the things that's difficult in terms of stigmatizing suicide is that you get to know Hannah because she's the narrator and telling these stories, but you don't really have an idea who she is apart from the person who is suicidal and also trying to kind of disclose these different negative things that happen. You don't know much about her interests. Does she like music? I mean, you know that she writes poetry, but that, again, is just linked in very much to her suffering and her suicidal thoughts and so the idea is that she's kind of being characterized as this person who has this suicidal behavior they have this graphic scene at the end but you don't really get that she's a person as much or what the aspects of her I mean you get a little bit of it here and there and mostly you're learning this from this very detailed what it's supposed to be I don't know 13 hours of audio tape Mm -hmm. and so that that would be atypical for sure in someone dying by suicide absolutely um, another thing that I've seen a little bit just in kind of following the the buzz and the conversation about the show is, um, you know, so, sort of this idea that suicide or I don't know where this really came, comes up too much, but kind of this idea of selfishness about suicide, mm-hmm. this myth about it. And uh, I think that we and we covered this a little bit in maybe the Logan episode, and I think we've touched on it in this series too. Is the sort of idea of burdensomeness that's associated with individuals who might die from suicide or do die by suicide, and uh, I think that they did um, an accurate job of depicting that in this series. So there's a couple of scenes where we really see Hannah sort of experiencing that burdensomeness. So um, particularly, I think, in relation to her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the scene where the money falls off of the car that she's supposed to deposit, uh, which is particularly impactful given the financial strain that her parents are experiencing with their sort of small-town pharmacy that they're running and uh, some things like that. So I thought, you know, to kind of... I, I've been trying to organize my thoughts and sandwich things that I thought were good with things that I thought could be improved. I thought that was one area of strength for the show was was depicting that sort of burdensomeness that goes with it that might challenge some of the thoughts or misconceptions about selfishness mm-hmm. that sort of uh, orbit uh, suicide. Yeah, she very much uh, kind of hints that she feels like a problem, like her parents would be relieved if she's gone. That's completely untrue, and you can see mm-hmm. the heartbreaking pain that they're experiencing. One of the strongest parts of the show, really, was the parents. Definitely. I thought, yeah. No, I agree, and... and, and Yet, in her mind, um, she thinks that she is doing them a favor. And sadly, that's a common thought among people who die by suicide, is that the world is better off without them. Absolutely. So maybe one last final 13 reasons talking point. I think we've probably had more than 13 talking points Mm -hmm. across our three episodes. And I certainly would have to retire from podcasting if I were asked (laughs) to do 13 episodes on 13 Reasons Why. Um, was one of the points about the movie. Um, so there's a couple of points where Hannah reaches out for help, and we've talked about them both already. One was in her classroom. She leaves a note, uh, an anonymous note that the teacher doesn't really follow up on. I think if I'm remembering right, talks a little bit about it from like a literary, literary or philosophic perspective. Mm-hmm. And then there's Mr. Porter as well, who uh, doesn't take some of the things that Hannah says serious enough in regards to how life-threatening they really they could yeah, have been. Yeah, he seems kind of preoccupied yeah. in it. Um, like he's got, and maybe he has some other stuff going on, but it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. That's this, that was the important part. Absolutely. And then this sort of ties into this sort of poem zine that is distributed mm-hmm. about the school from the character Ryan, I think, mm-hmm. who got, gets a hold of one of Hannah's poems as they're working together, and he publishes it uh, without her permission. And, uh, as and the she sp- explicitly said she didn't want him to Yes, it. absolutely. So it was kind of she another... Was, violation of consent absolutely he sort of just said i don't remember his reasoning exactly or what he said exactly but his reasoning was like that it was good and people just needed to read it Mm -hmm. and it was not very respectful 
Um, and so as we come to find out, the parents actually get a copy of it from Clay, and they think they take it into the school authorities and sort of say, why wasn't this not followed up on? Because her poem, in addition to some of the other things she says, indicates that she might be having thoughts about suicide as well. And the uh, teachers sort of say, well, this wasn't an official thing. We couldn't follow up on it. And I don't remember exactly if they talk about this, but I know it's something that sometimes people say, is it's sort of this angsty teenage sort of thing that that's just how teenagers talk about the world. And I, I just can't quite stress enough just how, like, untrue that is and how important it really is uh, if someone is talking about dying or talking about suicide that you really take it seriously. Because there's, I've seen it before, and I'm sure you have too, Katie, this sort of sometimes feeling of, well, th they're just trying to get attention. And it's it's just such a dangerous sort of mindset to have. Yeah, it, it's certainly true that most adolescents... Um, at one time or another experience stress or distress and mm -hmm. many more experience angst than experience suicidal ideation but you can't tell that just by looking at it and dismissing it so it's important to follow up because some of those individuals who are experiencing what seem like typical teenage angst may be suicidal and so it's important to not just dismiss it as, oh, they're just adolescents. It's, it's worth asking about. And something as simple as, are you thinking about killing yourself or looking for the warning signs that we've talked about can prevent suicide or help people to get on a track where they're feeling better. Because while this isn't depicted very clearly in the show, I think that the show clearly depicts how negative... Um, the negative consequences and how negatively people can be affected by others' actions mm -hmm. and the pain associated with that. But what we don't see as much, and again, they're not obligated to do this, but what I would have liked as a mental health professional and just as a person is if they talked about a lot of the issues that Hannah and other people are dealing with, you can help a lot with therapy. That's true with the issues Jessica was dealing with, that Justin was dealing with. Even some of the issues that Bryce was dealing with, they have mm -hmm. treatments for these various things that are available, and it's not made really clear there. And so if you see something a teenager's writing and you're concerned about it and you don't know if they are feeling suicidal or if it's something else, asking about it, erring on that side is always safer than ignoring it or dismissing it. Absolutely. So, so sort of the overall sense that I get about 13 Reasons Why is we kind of conclude this long conversation that we've had about it is that a lot I and this is my sense tell me if you've noticed something different but a lot of sort of the general audience really likes it a lot of people who are mental health professionals uh, have concerns about it mm -hmm. but seem like it seems like it's causing a lot of conversation I guess with students or clients which is potentially a positive so sort of given all of that uh, where do you fall on 13 reasons why Katie well, the the problems were too problematic for me to recommend it. If someone is going to watch it with a teen and talk about it or a kid, I recommend that you try to watch it together and, and sort through all the things that we've talked about to make sure that they understand that most counselors are more helpful, that parents are interested, and that you know Hannah's perception, sadly, was mistaken and that there are other options out there. And I also want to say that on some of these things, especially about suicide contagion, I was talking a lot from kind of my professor background and talking about different studies, but I'm really open and interested in hearing other people's perspectives about reacting to that scene. So if you tweet or message us, I'd like to hear what you think in terms of the graphic nature of that suicide scene and how it impacted you, because when people ask about it, I think it would be helpful to understand just the range of reactions people had and, and that I can mention that if they're asking whether they should watch it or not. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree, and I think I fall in the, in the same place where it wouldn't be a show that I would really probably recommend anyone um, because it, it it's just unsettling. For It was unsettling for me to watch, and it doesn't really leave you with anything good to walk away with or think about the world with. And, uh, and the, like you said, the problems from a mental health perspective are, are really just, it was just a little too much, I think. So, yeah, yeah, I think you can tell true stories about, the, or fictional stories about 
the, the negative impacts of bullying and about suicide and about mental health problems. But if there isn't some messaging or framing in there that kind of bolsters it so that the implications are clear to people, that worries me. I think and that so overall that, you know, I think that, that there's something on this topic and a lot of people are praising that. I do think that's good, but it kind of runs out when it's not considering some of what are the take-home points of this and what are people who are, what's someone who's 13 or 14 going to think when they see this? Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree completely. So uh, do you have anything else that you want to say as we sort of wrap up our 13 Reasons Why conclusion? No. Okay. Well, then I'm going to finally, after three episodes in length, move on to my my classic <laughs> Praise of Wisdom with Brandon segment. Long-awaited and, and a simple one for today with a topic that's important to both of us, which is really just to to check out some of the links that we've been posting in these episodes and uh, and read about some of the warning signs for suicide and, and, you know, just become familiar with it in case it becomes important for you or for a loved one. And I would also say just make sure that if you find yourself in a situation where you might be thinking about suicide or someone that you care about, um, please don't hesitate to just reach out. There is a lot of really good resources. Get the support that you need to help yourself and help the people in your life. Yeah. And I will add one pearl of wisdom Please. to one. I think the Katie's that... pearl of wisdom. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, again, I think this wasn't perfectly delivered, but the main point being that each of us has an opportunity to impact influence individuals by our actions that it's kind of I mean and working with people who have been perpetrators of bullying sometimes they don't realize the impact that's happening mm -hmm. sometimes they do but sometimes they really don't and sometimes they're just kind of in a developmental stage where they're not really thinking through the consequences and so I think it is important to remember that other people they have feelings what might seem like small things to us can be big things to other people. And I thought that theme was really important, that a nice word here and there or a negative action, they did impact Hannah. She's mm -hmm. her own person and it's a multitude of factors. But we should think about how we're affecting others. And we can check in with them, too, about how we're affecting them. And I think that's all a way of just treating each other better and reducing some of the risk factors for suicide. All right. Well said, Katie. I think we'll we'll end it there. And as always, folks, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, if you like what you hear in the Jedi Council podcast, if you just subscribe or leave a review or tweet at us or tweet about us, we, we love all the interaction that we get on Twitter. It's one of my favorite parts of, of being a podcaster. So that's been uh, that's just something that we appreciate. And if you like what you hear here, you might like one of the other great shows on the Jedi Council Podcast Network, uh, which is slowly expanding. We've got a new show starting up right now called Geek, mm, Geek Family Therapy. Geek Family <laughs> Therapy. Jeez. I, my uh, little ending spiel will need to be repolished. Geek Family Therapy. We tweeted about it earlier today, which will be not consistent with when you're hearing this. But, but the first episode I listened to, and I thought it was fantastic, it's about content that goes viral. So there's a marriage family and family therapist, and the co-host has a master's in um, media psychology so if you're Which is really cool yeah it yeah. is so it was i really enjoyed the show i learned a lot and they just have cool personalities and ways of interacting with each other yeah. so it's worth checking out absolutely so thank you so much for listening folks and we'll see you next time